God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> you there, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. And a nation which does not know you will run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has fortified you. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God. And he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making its produce grow and sprout and providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word by which be which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led in peace. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And I've stopped at 12. That's where you want to be to stop, Sue. <laughs> Hallelujah. I love that. The, the mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy. You will lead, You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I love how peace and joy go together. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Janice. I just have to add. Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for your overwhelming love. And I thank you that you orchestrate the details of our lives and that you worked all things, all things, all things together for our good, Lord, because we love you. And we are so thankful that as has already been stated, the good work that you've begun in us, you will carry it on to completion. And so Lord, we did, we want to be those who, um, say yes to your purposes, those who know our true identity in you, Lord, that um, so that you can work out your purposes in us. And Lord, we just thank you that it all starts with your great love and acceptance of us and that you're making us into the image of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen.
Amen. If you've, if you're familiar at all with the book of Hosea, um, it's, it's an unusual book, um, but I love the way it reflects the heart of God. And as in any, any of the scriptures, um, it had a time and a, 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 an application of who it was written to and for, but as scripture is living, it's God breathed, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. And God in his wisdom has allowed that there can be multiple applications, application of principle, application of his living truth through the centuries. So this is a book written for Israel in the time of the divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. The people have been in the land probably 650 years. They've been in the promised land and they have taken all of the wealth that God has given them and they have prostituted themselves to false gods. And this is a, this is, we call this the sin cycle. People, people, when they're not in a lot of need and they start to do well, human nature, sin nature tends to be that um, we start to rely on ourselves and we think, oh, my hand has made me wealthy. And, um, and then we start to worship things that are not God. And whether that's money or whether it's bail or whatever it is, um, self-reliance um, takes us away from the heart of the father. So this is an incredible letter because it doesn't, doesn't portray God as father. It portrays God as husband. And this is Old Testament. And I know lots of people think, oh, Old Testament is, you know, God's the, the fire and brimstone God, but God doesn't change. That's the word of God says he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so he has always looked at his, his chosen people, his special people, Israel and the nations who would come through her as his bride, as his beloved. And Hosea is, um, it's a, it's a difficult one for us to swallow in one way because the prophet is actually told to go and marry uh, an adulterous woman, a, a woman of prostitution. And he has children by her and God instructs them to give the kids these just horrific names, you know, not loved, not my people. And you're thinking there's, there's people that think this, this whole thing is just a big metaphor. And I would say, um, considering the, that the cross is not a big metaphor, that God went through pain and that God experiences the pain of, um, a, of an unfaithful wife and that he let the prophet experience this pain. Because just like we were talking about this morning, someone who has the struggle of having had a premature baby and knows what that is like to go through that. They have this incredible heart of mercy and grace towards other parents who suddenly finally have a very tiny baby who has a lot of continual needs and they're able to minister to that. Or someone who's come out of a time of darkness from music that they listened to, which took them down a path they didn't wanna go. And then they're able to come out into the light and to minister to someone. And God takes this prophet and says, 
marry this woman who is unfaithful and have children by her. And, you know, he wouldn't even know if all of those children were her children, his children, because she continued in unfaithfulness. So I just want to read you a little bit. The, the word of the Lord came to Hosea. Hosea, it's not as evident in English. Hosea is the same, would be the same word in Hebrew as Joshua or Yeshua. It means the same as Jesus means. So here is a book called Salvation in the Old Testament that says, I will take back an unfaithful woman and I will redeem the situation. And we're going to see that even as Marcus said that we are powerful people in the earth, we're going to see how wide spread the effects of our saying yes to God as husband, um, how much that reaches into realms we couldn't even imagine. So the word of the Lord came to Hosea um, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And um, the Lord said, go and take your, to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. So he actually goes and um, marries this woman, Gomer, and, um, and uh, has children with her. And she continues in her harlotry. So uh, I'm going to look at mostly at chapter two. So chapter two, um, the Lord is talking about his being the husband of the people of God and how there's infidelity and adultery. Uh, chapter two, verse three, he says, I will make her like a wilderness. I will make her like a desert land. And uh, I'm doing a course right now on the land of Israel. And it's, Linda's actually doing the same course. And it has just impacted me so profoundly. Um, because as, as I've mentioned previously, of all the land God could have chosen in the Fertile Crescent, he chooses this dry and thirsty land, which has no major rivers and a dead sea. And he says, this is the land to which I will take you. I will show you, Abraham. And this is the land. And every time there's a famine or something and they, they leave, and he always is saying to all the patriarchs, go back to the land, go back to the land, go back to the land. And you're kind of like, um, it's not really a great land, God. Why, what, is, what is going on? And we, we talked about Psalm 23, that I will lead you beside still waters and into green pastures. Man, you had to have a good shepherd. You had to have a good shepherd to find green pastures and clear waters, still waters in the Judean wilderness. So here God is saying, I am going to make this, this unfaithful woman who represents the people of God, and I will make her into a wilderness, into a desert. I just want you to think of what is going on in the world, okay? just want you to think of what is going on on a global scale of God getting the attention of people who have turned to everything but him and using a dry time. How many could describe this for most of the world? This is a dry time. This is all of, all of our supports are being pulled out from under us. 
and we are being taken into a desert place. I'm just going to jump through the first part of um, chapter two, but the Lord says she has gone after all of these, these other lovers. Behold, I will obstruct her way with thorns. Janice, you just needed to bring that out this morning about the thorns. That's so beautiful. And I will build a stone wall against her so she cannot find her paths. So here is God actually saying, the people of God are wayward, but I'm going to put some hurdles in their paths that will help them make the right decisions and choose that they will come back to me. So sometimes if you know, if you're walking in disobedience as a pre-believer or as a believer, and suddenly that seems like things can start to go wrong and you're like, what is up with that? Right. And, and sometimes the Lord is, is directing us as a good shepherd directs us with his staff. And he's saying, these paths will lead to your destruction. You can't see from the height of a sheep. You cannot see that this path is going to lead you to a very destructive place. But I'm the shepherd and I can see that and I'm guiding you. And then she will say, the unfaithful wife, I will go back to my first husband because it was better for me then than now that in her troubles, she will go back to her, her first love, which is, of course, referred to also in Revelation, return to your first love, church. And it, it reminds us, too, of the prodigal son who turns and says, after he has spent his inheritance, he's, he's done it all and went, wow, I have no friends, I have no money, I have no future, don't have a lot of hope. Hey, but you know what? Even my my father's servants have have it pretty good. Better than this. Better than feeding pigs. I'll go back. And he has the he he turns and repents and goes back to his father. And this is what God was looking for in uh, this in the adulterous people of God. Um, when you're studying the land, it becomes very evident that Israel is an agricultural society. And sometimes God will list things and he'll, he'll list, you know, the grain, the wine, the olive oil. And it sounds like a random list if you're not uh, from the land, but in the, in the land, that is exactly the order of harvest. So the, the grain, the wheat and the barley, remember the book of Ruth, it was a time of the barley harvest. These were things that marked the calendar of an agricultural people. So God says, I will take the wheat. I will, I will take the, the wine. The grape harvest is after that. And I will take the oil. That's the olive harvest. Basically, he's saying your whole year, your whole life cycle is in me. I am the one who orders all that. And when you are walking in closeness with me, life stays a lot more ordered and I give you those things so that you will be mine, not so that you will use them to build some other kingdom or that you will use them to serve some other God. That's not why I gave them to you. And so he says, she doesn't even know that it was me who gave her all of these things. And I lavished these things on her, but 
but she was she was uh, ignorant of this fact. And so he says, you know, I covered your nakedness. I was the one who supplied everything you have. Um, but I will now put an end to this time um, where she gives credit to her false gods and says, they, this is my wage for prostitution. That's what my payment is. And he says, no, no. Uh, she has followed other lovers. She has not been faithful in her heart to her God. She forgot me. But this is where we're going to look at the text in um, Hosea 2.14. And this is such a powerful, beautiful text. And I've sort of just been here reading this over and over for a while. And the Lord says, therefore, behold, I am going to allure her and bring her into the wilderness. And this is a very unusual, some, some, some of the verses say, it's translated, therefore, behold, I will persuade her or I will entice her. And it's the word that um, actually Delilah used on Samson to entice him, you know, to fall asleep in her, her lap. So there's this, this idea of not, I'm not going to drive you into the wilderness. I'm not going to push you or force you into the wilderness. I will allure you like a, like a lover. I will allure you. And I'm going to bring you into a wilderness. And a wilderness is a, is a place of desolation, dryness, snakes and scorpions. Uh, it's a dangerous, dry, abandoned sort of place. People don't live there. And God says, I'm going to take this unfaithful wife and I'm going to bring her into wilder the wilderness and speak kindly to her. I just want you to think, again, put this in the context of what is going on in the earth, what is going on in the world, and, um, and how God is, God is wooing people. God is giving us a, this chance to, in the quiet, quieter, uh, fewer distraction time, to hear his voice. And he's speaking kindly. And then he says, I will give her her vineyards from there. Um, and I, I just a note to myself, I put the word give is Nathan and it's, it's the root of the word Nathaniel, Nathan L being God, Nathaniel is a gift of God. I will give her her vineyards from there. If you can picture a rocky, dry, barren wilderness, and now try to imagine of a, a, a grapevine there, Try to imagine, like, if you can picture the vineyards of California, miles and miles of lush vine that produce grapes, that produce big, fat, chunky grapes that produce beautiful wine. And God says, I am taking my beloved into a time of wilderness. Oh, wait a minute. Wilderness wanderings. This sounds familiar. It's exactly what he did when he birthed the people of Israel in the, the wilderness uh, when they came out of Egypt, when they had the Exodus, and he took them into the wilderness. Why? To teach them utter dependence on himself as the bridegroom. And so he says this astounding thing. He says, uh, there in the wilderness, not in the lush land, not in the land that looks blessed, but in the difficult land, in the parched land, I will give her vineyards. 
Now, how could this be? How could this be? Only through God, who says, if we remember John 15, I am the vine. You are the branches. So God is saying, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, no, how, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how unproductive the situation may appear, no matter how, how unlike a lush pasture or a vineyard it looks, if I am there and I am, and you are abiding in me, we can produce lush grapes that when they're crushed will produce the best wine. And so here is a principle that applies to every child of God in every century is that God is the one who produces in us often the sweetest wine in the roughest of times. Please wave at me if you know what that means. Often in the most difficult of times comes the sweetest of wine. So he says, I'm going to allure her into that time. I'm going to allure her into this place where she has nothing but me. And I will give her vineyards there, which is a miracle. And the Valley of Acor will become a door of hope. Now, Acor is, um, <clears throat> it means trouble in the valley of trouble. And it's where um, Achan, it, when in Joshua 7, Joshua goes into the land and they win a battle and then they lose the next battle against a small town, small village. And Joshua's like, what's going on? And it turns out somebody's stolen some stuff and didn't report it and buried it in their tent. And God brings judgment on the family of, of Achan. And the valley was then named trouble because it brought trouble on all the people of God. And it, he says, I will give her vineyards there in the wilderness and the valley of trouble becomes a door of hope. The valley of trouble becomes a door of hope. And, and again, this is just a, it's the opposite of what you would expect in the natural. And he says, uh, well, the door of hope, the door is like an entry point, an entry point or an opening of tikvah. We live in hope. So I thought you, you might want to learn the Hebrew word for hope, tikvah. Everybody just say that, tikvah. We live in tikvah. We live in hope. <laughs> I love that. And the hope is the expectation, the thing I long for in Hebrew, get this. It can also mean a cord. So here's where when the spies went into the land and uh, Rahab, the prostitute, tie-in, hangs a cord in her window because she helped the spies. She knew God was giving the Israelites the land. And they said, hang the cord in your window and we will not destroy you and your family. What color was the cord? scarlet it was like blood it was the color of blood it was a cord of hope and Rahab hangs the cord in her window and there is hope for her family the the, the incredible dovetailing pun intended again is uh of the bible and the words 
of how God uh, weaves things together to bring us understanding. Um, valley, the Valley of Acor in Isaiah 65, 10, it says, Sharon will be a pasture land for flocks and the Valley of Acor, a resting place for herds for my people who seek me. So this is not a once a one-off sort of thing that I'm making up here. This is, this is a theme, places of trouble, places of dryness, places of wilderness, literally and metaphorically become pastures for those who seek me. So <clears throat> uh, verse 15, and she will respond there. And again, this is in the wilderness. She will respond there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she went up from the land of Egypt. When Israel came out of Egypt, they plundered their enemies. The people of Egypt were so happy to see them go. They're like, take my gold, take my good clothes, take everything you want, take it, take it, be gone, be gone. And they plundered their enemies without any battle. And they went out in, it says, in battle array. They went out as an army, but they were not yet trained to be the people of God. It's, it's a key point. They went out in formation, but the formation had not yet happened. And the formation, where did it happen? In the wilderness. And unfortunately, that whole generation balked at the formation. And the trip that should have taken 11 days took 40 years. And those people died in the desert. We're not meant to die in the desert. We're not meant to die in the desert. God says in the desert time, in the difficult time, in the time where you, you know, I call it the place not of your choosing. In that time when you just like to be out of it and be on to something better. And God says in that time. If you will say yes to me, you, my, my spirit in you will produce these fat, abundant grapes and that will produce the best wine, the best wine for last, right? The best wine. Respond. I love this word, respond. She will respond. And that word respond, you were going to see it again in, in this chapter, can mean sing. It can mean to hear, it can mean to give witness to. Uh, Hebrew words are, are very rich. They can mean a lot of different things in a lot of places. She will respond as in the days of her youth. And it will come about on that day that you people of God will call me EC. You will call me my husband. You will no longer call me Bal-E, my master, my Lord, Baal. Okay. So the relationship in the desert goes from you are my master. I do what you say. You bought me. It goes to you are my husband. You are my beloved. You are the one who paid everything to know me. And you want my faithfulness. You want my devotion. You want my heart. You want me. I will call you my husband. And this is, this is, the heart of, of God is he sees us as the bride. And I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth so they will no longer be mentioned by their names. And on that day, I will make a covenant for them. So again, covenants, 
solemn oaths and contracts, binding unto death, uh, witnessed usually with a meal. This is what the bread and the wine is in the Lord's Supper. That's a covenant, covenantal sign, usually signed in blood. Um, you know, the covenant, there would be a slit on each finger and they would, they would mix blood together and they would make a covenant. But this is God making a covenant, not just with them, but another covenant for them in on that day, I will make a covenant with the animals of the field, the birds of the sky, the crawling things of the ground. I will eliminate bow, sword and war from the land and let them lie down in safety. So God says, if you are hidden in me, if you are for us in, in the new covenant in Christ hidden, then I will keep you in safety. That is my covenant. That is my covenant. Though a thousand fall on my right side, Psalm 91, though 10,000 on my left, it will not come near my tent. Ultimately, we cannot lose. He has gone ahead to replace, prepare a place for us in heaven. But we have a covenantal promise with God as our kinsman, redeemer, God as husband, that he will watch over us as a people of God. And then verse 19 I will betroth you to me forever. Now, if you've done Bible study with me, start the count here. How many times are we going to hear this phrase? Okay. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in favor and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then, then you will know experientially the Lord. How many times did he say, I will betroth you to me? Just to hold up your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Three times. I will betroth you to me. Wow. This is God repeating himself. And it's not because he's old and decrepit. It's because he's eternal and brilliant. God says, I will betroth you. I engage you. I buy you for my own. You are mine. This is my forever contract. This is my covenantal love. This is my commitment for eternity. On those days when we have the blahs or we have worse, we have lies in our heads. God says, I chose you. I chose you. I betroth you to me forever. Maybe that needs to be a plaque on our walls. Okay. I betroth you to me, the Lord of the universe, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the everlasting, the Prince of Peace. I betroth you. Put your name in there. This is not just to Israel. We are the Israel of God. We don't replace Israel, but we become one with her. And this is aside a very important time for Israel. Be praying for Israel. God's time clock follows what is happening with Israel. Don't forget to pray for Israel. I will betroth you to me in righteousness. Righteousness, right relationship. Righteousness uh, in Hebrew is right relationship. It's being delivered. It's being justified. It's having vic victory and it's having prosperity. All of that is included in righteousness. Again, God, it's no accident God chose Hebrew 
to bring the revelation. It's such a rich poetic language. I will betroth you to me in justice. That one, you know, I was thinking about what does it mean to be betrothed in justice? But the sense is that it's proper, it's fitting, and it's also a verdict or a decree. I decree, when God decrees, hello, my word, what did we say, Isaiah 55 this morning? My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that for which I sent it forth. The richness of this text and the promises in it, and like Marcus said, our being in the promises, it's, it's just such a tremendous privilege. I will betroth you to me in favor and in compassion. Favor is the word chesed. You've probably heard that before. Loving kindness, it's often translated as loving kindness, mercy, goodness, beauty. Again, the richness of the promises here. I will betroth you to me in righteousness, justice, favor, and compassion. And compassion is, is actually means the womb, a woman's womb. And the assumption here, and this is some of you have heard me say this before, and I, it's appalling what has happened and that this is not true anymore, but that compassion is associated with a woman's womb because God, is, God assumes that the woman will have compassion on the fruit of her womb, that she will have mercy on the little life and the child, her offspring, the baby that she carries. And so this word for womb, this word for uh, the, the fruit of your womb, how a mother would feel for her baby, that became the word for compassion. And then how we have come to the place where uh, women fight for the right to rip a baby out of their body and call that uh, justice or call that a, a, a right or worse yet, a medical, a medical right. So, uh, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, which is associated with truth and firmness and steadfast, steadfastness in the Hebrew mindset. So God is saying, I have you, I have you forever. I have you, I've got it covered. And when you, when you receive that, when you understand that, that is the very basis of your identity. And, you know, if you think about the things that were shared this morning, our destiny is completely tied to our identity. And if the enemy can take us out at the point of identity, he knows we will not walk into our destiny. So Brian, who's a singer songwriter, he says, I will attack that man at the point of his voice and make him have doubts so that he will never walk into the things that God has for him because God wants to touch people through him. And so your identity and who you are and who God has made you to be, who you're called to be, all the things that are true of a beloved child of God, that, we, that as we dwell in that place, no matter where we are, whether things are a bed of roses or whether things are the rocky barren wilderness, that our identity is secure in him. And he says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. As you abide in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you will produce the fruit. And, here, and here's just a, 
the thing the Lord showed me last week, we read 1 Corinthians 13. Several ladies read it. Oh, a train engine coming. Several ladies read 1 Corinthians 13. And, and I said, um, I just heard it. I love the word of God is meant to be read aloud, you know. I just heard it in a whole new way. And, and I'd always kind of read 1 Corinthians 13. We read it at weddings. And I've always thought of it as, you know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not boastful. Love is not jealous. Love is not envious. And I think I even was taught, put your name in there, right? Sue is loving. Sue is kind. Sue is not boastful. And it, it always ends in self-condemnation, right? Who measures up to that? God is love. God is love. So what the Lord was showing me was if love is patient, it's because it's in an atmosphere that is provoking someone to be impatient or irritated. Oh, that sounds like a wilderness. Well, love is not boastful. When I'm doing well, then that's the environment where I need the love of God to come through me and, and live that out through me. Love is not irritable. Well, that would kind of imply that there is an environment that is irritating. And that's when I need the love of God to come through me and meet that situation that is irritating. And I know the fruit of the spirit just took on a whole new aspect for me because suddenly it wasn't just about me and my character being honed to look more like Jesus. It was about me just saying, hey, look, I'm in one of those environments. Surprise, surprise, because life offers us all these negative environments where I don't have love and I don't have patience and I don't have mercy and I don't have grace. And I just say, oh, perfect love. Love, would you just come in and fill me? And would you go out through me? Would you love? And I can just release your love. I can release your love to that situation that's driving me bananas. I can release your love to that person who grates on my nerves. I can release your love in all of these things that I am not naturally equipped to do. And that's part of living in, when we live in the place where our environment becomes basically irrelevant, our environment becomes irrelevant because we're, we're abiding in the vine. And then none of us is there, but I, it's so purposeful of the Lord that he has this theme that runs throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he says in the New Testament, I am the vine. Then you will know the Lord. You will yada. You will know the Lord experientially as Adam knew his wife Eve. And it will come about on that day, verse 21, that I will respond. We have this word respond or hear or answer. And it's repeated over and over in the text. She will respond. I will respond. Now look who responds next. And I will respond, declares the Lord. And I will respond, the Lord speaking. I will respond to the heavens. And they, the heavens, will respond to the earth. And the earth in turn will respond to the grain and the new wine and the oil. That's the whole harvest cycle. And they will respond to Jezreel, whose Hosea's first son is named Jezreel, which means God sows. Three kids, three kids by the adulterous woman, Gomer. 
they will respond to God sows, and I will sow her for myself in the land. Now, this takes on a whole nother level of meaning that God says, I will respond. And when I respond, the heavens will respond. And when the heavens respond and bring rain at the right time, then the rains will cause the earth to respond. And the earth will respond. And suddenly abundant life is popping up. You know, the Romans says that the whole earth waits for the revelation of the redemption of the sons of God. When we are walking in right relationship with our husband, and I know it must be a little weird for you guys, I get it, you know, but it's a spousal relationship, okay? The first, the exclusive, the intimate relationship where you become one. And God says, when that is in place and my life is flowing through you, the whole earth will benefit. The whole earth will respond. And I will have compassion on her, Lo Ruma, who meant her name was No Mercy, and who had not obtained compassion. She will obtain compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, the third son, his name was Lo Ami, not my people. And I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You know, God wants our hearts. He wants us to, to, just, to just be with him and know him, you know, in a, in a, if you're married in a, in a marriage relationship. There just needs to be times when you are just together to cultivate that relationship because it's so important. You know, it doesn't grow by chance. It grows by intentionality. And God is so intentional about his people. And he says, in these times, in these times of dryness, you know, in these times of being in circumstances that are difficult or challenging, if you will look to me, if you will give me your whole heart, I will respond. Your response is, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm yours, 100%. Best of my ability, I just give you everything and say yes. And then he responds. And then he brings other, other parts of the earth, the actual earth to respond around us. And so I, I just, um, this is maybe, and then we had a wedding yesterday. So this whole idea of God as husband and, um, and we, you know, we have a number of widows, God as husband. And this is what I've said, you know, to Marilyn and to Carol and to some of, to some of our widows and just said, God is your husband and there is no better and that we can rest in that. We can trust him and know that he will look after us. So that's, uh, that's my word from Hosea this morning. Thank you.